children wait in the water. Gods are gonna trouble the water. See that band all dressed in white. Gods are gonna trouble the water. The leader looks like the Israelite. Gods are gonna trouble. Hello and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And in this episode, we'll be looking at uh, another slave narrative. We got we got five more, including this one, to to talk about, um, leading us right up to and into the Civil War in terms of dates of publication. Um, this one is the narrative and the life and adventures of Henry Bibb, an American slave, written by himself, as these are often. Um, titled uh always the emphasis on written by himself or herself um gives it a, a era of authenticity and 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 uh um helps with empathy i think there there's 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 a reason there's this um this is written in them all and of course to 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 emphasize the intelligence and brilliance of these uh, people who were born in slavery um, this was published in 1849, and it's um, it's a really good one. I, I think obviously the one we just did, Frederick Douglass, uh, is the one most people probably read. Equiano, a lot of people read that one. Henry Bibb um, is not as commonly explored um, by readers, I think, but it's definitely worth reading because I think it's it's actually the best of these as far as i know that that looks at marriage and and the marriage between slaves and the struggles of that it's, it's a sad story ultimately where henry bibb's wife um they get separated after numerous escaped efforts and things like that and then she ends up like remarrying and then he uses some really nasty language I'll, I'll forgive henry bibb about that because he is um his his goal here is to really talk about slavery as as a form of degeneracy and a in a, in a violation of of the potential of marriage, a betrayal of the goals of, of marriage that are that are available to white people in the antebellum period. Obviously, a very religious age, the age of the Second Great Awakening, age of moral reform, um, and of course, the lack of slaves being allowed to have marriages although they some they still married but they weren't legally allowed to have marriages and and the fact that those marriages could be broken up and and subject to the rape by masters and 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 sale and and other and, and violence all that stuff puts a strain on the marriage that this is undermining that goal of of a proper household right the household as the foundation of of society and citizenship and 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 moral code it's like even separate spheres can be used this way right like in the separate spheres ideology, women work um, at home and 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 are and make the home their own and deal with raising kids and deal with moral issues and they can be involved in society through moral questions. That's why so many women started moral reform societies or active in them. Um, and men would be out in the world of work. Well, in slavery, women and men alike are in the world of work, and there is no domestic sphere at all. Um, the closest they can get to a proper domestic sphere is, I suppose, a, a corrupted version of that in the plantation household, where they're servants of of degenerate masters. 
So um, now Bib doesn't talk about this stuff very directly, but it's all subtextual and it's certainly in the backdrop and we can interpret it in this text. Um, so I think that's really what's powerful about, about, about Henry Bibb's story is the, the discussion of his, of his marital life. It's also notable in that he escaped many times and, and went back. He, he was in a border state, Kentucky, and he could, like, you know, kind of flip back and forth uh, to, you know, he escaped initially and then he went back for his wife, um, ran into troubles, got kidnapped, got, a, got was, was, was kidnapped and, and, and brought back into slavery and escaped again. It, it, there's a lot of interesting stories. It, it's actually more exciting in that sense than Frederick Douglass's narrative. And, but the heart of this story is that is that marriage. Um, so anyways, here, here's a quote from Henry Bibb that I think uh, gets to some of these. Um, definitely this is hitting on the question of separate spheres, um, although he doesn't use that language. Quote, a slave marrying to law is a thing unknown in the history of American slavery. And be it known to the disgrace of our country that every slaveholder who is a keeper of a large number of slaves of both sexes is also the keeper of a house of ill fame. Licentious white men can and do enter at night and day in the lodging place of slaves, break up the bonds of affection and families, destroy all their domestic and social union for life, and the laws of the country afford them no protection. So what's being described here is a violation quite directly of of the domestic sphere um, by by slave owners and others, right? Um, and of course, uh, that was one of the criticisms of slavery leveled by moral reformers was that you basically turn every enslaved woman into uh, into an adulterer because she's she's having sex with someone she's not legally married to, right? Even though slaves certainly consider their marriages legitimate. Um, as far as like, what Bib does, that's why Bib is is you know talks about her remarrying in the way he does. I mean, he talks about her remarriage as if she's fallen into like degeneracy, and that's um, you know from that philosophy of like our marriages actually are real and we are married under God and under the church um, you know I guess he's got a point right which you know well, of course we're reminded that like, one of the first thing freedmen did was legitimize their marriages as soon as they could or try to find lost family members very, very uh, a good slave narrative, though. Uh, Henry Bibb himself, though, was uh, tragically short-lived. Um, he died, in, I think, in his 40s. Um, he had a lot of personal frustrations and failures. Outside of this narrative, he's not that well-known. Um, but this narrative is, as, a, as I suggest, a real doozy. Um, he escaped slavery twice. Um, the first escape, he was recaptured and sold back into slavery, partially because he did go back for his wife. Um, he returned south again um, to reunite his family, who had become the mistress of her master. So there's uh, that dilemma too, and it's it's um, it's another reminder of of his like attempt to construct uh, like or to attack slavery through marriage and through this breaking down of what actually marriage means for slaves. Uh, and as much as it means something, it means nothing to white men and masters. They have no respect for the bonds of, of marriage outside of the fact that it may produce like capital for them in the form of, of enslaved children. Um, so he renounces her, um, remarries, 
Um, and and then gets involved in abolitionist work in Canada, right? Uh, now, he couldn't stay in America because of the fugitive slave law, so we have echoes of Frederick Douglass's um, life, where Frederick Douglass wanted to stay in the United States, but to do that, he had to like buy his freedom after the fugitive slave law. The 1950 fugitive slave law was, was passed, um, so uh, Bibb himself left the United States and went to Canada, doing his work from there. Um, now, many of the authors here did did see the end of slavery and saw their work, their life's work fulfilled. Bibb never did. Um, he's he he died. I, what 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 year? I think he may have lived to see the Civil War break out. Let me double check. Oh no, not even close. Fifty four. So this this is only published five years after his. Um, or five years before his death, um, he freed himself like in in in, in 1841. One of you know his second escape. It's really complex. He went through many masters and, and adventures in that that all recounted in in the narrative. But um, look at this: Douglas, uh, William Wells Browns, and Bibbs. All these na slave narratives, these antebellum slave narratives, emphasize sexual violence. Right. And, and so if it's just one, uh, that's it. I mean, they all say it. it and, and I guess someone could say, well, that's just the trope. That's just something that was emphasized because of antebellum reform movements emphasizing the sanctity of marriage and, and the separate, separate spheres things and putting women on the pedestal. So sexual violence was being stressed because that was a way to get into the zeitgeist of the time. But I also just think this is an easier explanation than that convoluted, like, um, almost conspiracy theory approach is to say, yeah, just sexual violence was essential to slavery, which is why every one of these narratives seems to emphasize it. Um, and it's going to be in, in, in Harry Jacobs uh, and, and, and some of the others, too, I think. It just let, let's. It's just my conclusion here um, that it was universal or near universal in, in slavery. Um, just you had too many opportunities for sexual violence without any contravening power um, to stop it, and you already have a system based on violence. You have powerless women throughout the system. You have husbands who can't, def you know, defend their families in any way. Their their daughters and their wives. So it's just going to be common. And in a sense, it's almost systematized. It's not institutionalized the way of, you know, maybe something like the Holocaust was. But because of a conscious effort to not allow, not protect the lives, the bodies, the souls of enslaved people, it is systematic, right? It is institutionalized. It is institutionalized rape in that real sense, even though it wasn't maybe organized by some master planner or master organization. Um, it's not like, I don't think the masters got together in like their secret cabal and say, ah, oh, let, let's, let's use sexual violence to, to, to subdue these slaves. I just think it's when you have such a differential in power, that many slaves, that many masters, it, it's going to be what you expect. It's going to be what, what anyone seeing that situation would, would, expect to happen if there's no contravening power right to stop it 
Um, just like when there's no unions, big surprise, workers get exploited. It's, it's you need contravening power. You need some kind of legal mechanism or organization to defend against it. Social movements, law, something like that. Um, it's, um, I'm really struck in this narrative how rich it is at describing what it's like to be a slave. And I, and I think it does it in some sense even better than Douglas. Um, what other slave writers or former slave writers hinted at, Bibb actually is quite brutal and clear about. Um, others sometimes neglect or don't experience it, but Bibb articulates it. Um, and I think part of, partially it's his, really on the issue of, of marriage is where he's strongest. The clarity of what it's like to be an enslaved man with a wife, for instance, that's like if you remember, Douglas talked about his own parentage and the treatment of his aunt and the, the physical violence against his aunt and how you get the sense it was sexualized in a way. But but Bibb just comes out and says it really directly, um, you know, and he talks about how slavery affected their decisions and his decisions and, the deci and how he made decisions about running away and how he made decisions about returning to to free his wife. Um, you know, the results of this, of getting his wife sold um, or, or getting recaptured, uh, the the results of his getting, you know, like how he got sold to his wife plantation and how that should have been a joyous occasion. But actually it was worse because, you know, when he was at the other plantation, he got to go there every weekend and, you know, spend some time with her. Uh, but once he's on the same plantation, he saw the daily degradation. You know, it's, it's much harder to see. <laughs> It's one thing to be away from your wife for, you know, six days out of seven. Um, but imagine what it's like to be there every day and see them sexually harassed or, or, or whipped or beaten or abused verbally. Um, I used to really talk. Uh, uh, his wife's name is, is, is um, Melinda. I was thinking, I was wondering if I wrote that down wrong. Um, yeah, Melinda. You know, she, she emerges as a major character in this story because so much of his text is emphasizing that, that relationship uh, and, and just how bittersweet it was and how difficult it is to be married. And so you just got to multiply this relationship by, by, by hundreds of thousands or millions and you get a sense of, of, of the institution of marriage and slavery from this. I think it's a really powerful and efficient narrative of doing that. Um, so I, I know I'd almost recommend this one it's a good place to go more so than even Douglas on some issues. Uh, I think Douglas is in a literary sense is stronger. Um, maybe even Brown um, is, but, but this one really packs a punch, I think. Um, another cool thing he really adds to that, that others haven't talked about as much is, um, and certainly not Wells, uh, William Wells Brown or, and Douglas as much is, is superstition. Um, for instance, he Bibb at one point admits to buying a charm to protect himself from punishment, um, even though it, it didn't work. Um, now, one thing that's striking about this narrative too um, is how much Bibb feels the need to like defend the truth claims he's making in the book. The preface of this book—it's like ten pages almost—is just a dozen testimonials of various people who knew Bibbs. And they are testimonies to the, 
the veridity of his claims, of his truth claims. Uh, one is even from the master he ran away from. So before this was published, the research was done to basically footnote these, these claims. I guess this is because, um, you know, he felt he had to do it because of, you know, he's making saying things others haven't said explicitly. Um, it's a little racist to suggest, of course, that only white people can confirm his claims. But I, I think that's not the intention here. I think the intention is to, um, to, because he realizes how serious and how devastating his claims are to the, to the system of slavery. Um, anyway, throughout the novel, freedom is never far from Bibb's mind. So as much as this is about family, it's also about finding freedom and 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 running away. Um, his decisions to marry was burdened by a realization that Marion would make himself uh, more, it would make it more difficult for him to free himself, right? He, it's going to bind himself to his status as a slave. He, he, he talks like with, you almost feel the tears down his eyes when he talks about how he like, his guilt over giving birth to a slave. Um, he, he talks about his daughter who, who remained in slavery. And of course, he never got to see her free in his life uh, because he wasn't able to get his wife and, and daughter out of slavery. Um, but you feel the pain he feels at having done that and, and almost the, the, like the real guilt of putting, bringing someone into this world to only be a slave. Um, running away as a married man deeply, deeply troubled him. Quote, I was to put into operation my former resolution which was to bolt for liberty or consent to die a slave. I acted upon the former, although I confessed it to be one of the most self-denying acts of my whole life. To take leave of an affectionate wife who stood before me on my departure with dear little Frances in her arms, with a tear of sorrow in her eyes as she bid me a long farewell. It required all the moral courage that I was master of to suppress my feelings while taking leave of my little family. Um, now, he escapes, but he, of course, returns to fetch his family uh, falls back into slavery, goes through different masters, uh, one of which is the Cherokee. There's a little aside here about uh, what it's like to be enslaved by, by Indians, um, which he says is, is kind of a little bit better. But, uh, you know, that's, and then he has to escape again and give up his family. So he has to do this twice. It, it's pretty heartbreaking stuff. Um, so anyways, that's a major theme of the book here is uh, uh the, the difficulty of, of getting his uh, uh, of earning his freedom with a with a family, right? This also helps explain why women were less likely to run away from slavery than men were. I think that's those stats are pretty common throughout antebellum slavery up into the Civil War. Um, now we have chapter six and six and seven or seven and eight here, which are particularly notable. They're about halfway. Well, it's still in the first part of the story, I guess first part of the narrative. It's Bibb describing the institutions of power used to maintain slavery in the South. Um, and he goes through a lot of them. It's, it's actually a quite complete analysis of power. Uh, these uh, vary from informal mobs, slave catchers, formal legal institutions of courts, and even a slave prison, he, which he had to stay at um, with his family. He had to stay in a few, like a slave prison at one point. He had to stay in another workhouse kind of prison with a lot of white degenerate kind of criminals uh, which he emphasizes that's a that reminds me of w.e.b du bois who like to say like about you know when we're about the talented tenth saying um you know that among white people nine out of ten are pieces of of garbage too so you know 
that's what you expect among any people. It's just that talented tenth aside, you're going to have a lot of riffraff and criminals and poor people and 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 uneducated folks and and folks that just live their life. And I I, I mean I'll agree. W. E. B. Du Bois is a little harsh at times about this and a little classist. It certainly comes off that way at times, but um, Bib does as well. You know, looking at this like work this prison he's in and saying like like i'm better than all these people even though i'm a slave um rough sorts um so bib stayed at one of these slave prisons in louisville um, with his whole family and it was like a prison workhouse mix uh there was sexual violence there too um quote soon after she arrived at this place garrison gave her to understand not william lloyd garrison uh, 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 an evil garrison uh, Garrison gave her to understand what he bought her there for and made the most disgraceful assault on her virtue, which she promptly repealed, for which Garrison punished her with the lash, threatening her if she did not submit that he would sell her children. And the next day he made the same attempt, which she resisted, declaring that she would not submit to it again and again tied her up and flogged her until her garments were stained with blood. He then sent our children off to another part of the city after he meant to sell it. Um, wow. Like, this is happening like in front of him he's witness to these events it's 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 really horrific stuff um now uh obviously there's a lot of hardships in the various escape attempts one of his children dies uh, but his determination to escape remains and and that ultimately is more significant to him than freedom i or, or sorry than the family freedom trumps family um and it's hard to read at times um, and you, you imagine many enslaved men made the choice to stay with their families rather than and, and conform to the system to keep their family together and make sacrifices and make concessions to keep their family together. Um, how easy it is to split up a family when, when one member of it resists, right? It's, you know, it's, it's like Django Unchained, right? That scene where they, they run away together and then the, the slave master's response is like, sell them, sell, sell them separately. That's don't you know other and married slaves are not going to make the same choice if they see that. Um, so he gets out. His family does it right. So Bib escapes from an Indian man who purchased him. So he does talk a little bit about how being a slave to an Indian, I think it's like a Cherokee or something, uh, is better. But it also was lax enough that he was able to escape. He he was able to make his way through Indian country through the prairie and then to Michigan and get out that way. Um, now, the narrative ends with Bibb's final attempt to secure freedom for his wife. Um, now, he's pretty harsh here. I said this before. Um, Melinda basically be chooses to become a concubine. She finally gives in to the threats that were posed on her throughout. So there, there is a, a circle here. Um, so she sort of becomes like, I guess, a secondary wife or, um, to the master. Um, but what does he say? He says, practically dead to me as a white, for she was living in a state of adultery. That's what he says. That's how he sees it. But, of course, he sees his marriage as true and real, and Melinda is making choice. I mean, this is all set up in the narrative, because there are moments where the choice was given to her. Like, I can make your life easier for you. You just be my, my mistress. I mean, given I, I, I can't imagine what that choice would be. I mean, I, I think I can empathize to a degree, but... She's obviously resisted in the past. Bib attests to her resistance um, up to that point. 
but with Bib gone, with hope of freedom gone, with a, a family to take care of on her own, um, she, she makes a choice. Um, and Bib confesses that it was a choice she maybe had to make, but adds, quote, it's quite probable that they have another children according to the law of nature, which will have a tendency to unite them stronger together, end quote. So it's, uh, he's suggesting like once they have kids of their own, um, they'll be more of a couple. Uh, how that can ever be really, I mean, the, how we describe this is tough. It kind of reminds us of the Sally Hemings thing, right? Um, I, I think both can be true. You can have, uh, you know, the relationship can be based on rape. It doesn't mean there's not uh, um, some some sentiment to the the family of sorts that's being created there. Um, just like slaves could be proud of the labor they do, um, even though that was coerced out of them. Um, now, Bib, of course, is making a moral polemic against slavery, um, calling all slave marriages farces because they don't have legal standing and protection. Uh, I understand that argument. It's, it's obviously true. Um, but, um, you know, obviously I, I think those informal slave marriages are as morally binding as official state-sponsored marriages. It's just they weren't being respected by, by anyone in power. So that's, that's just the way it is. Uh, Again, it's not surprising that one of the first things slaves did when they got their freedom was go to the Freedmen's Bureaus and register those marriages. Um, in any case, this is a really good, it may be one of the best slave narratives uh, for approaching the question of sexuality and marriage. It's one that's very exciting and dramatic because he's spending time in prisons, he's always attempting to escape, he's, he's risking life and limb to go back. Um, he did not... Um, we don't, what we don't have here is like what Douglas had, which is this moral independence of being achieved first. He doesn't really mention, he's just like, I always wanted to be free. And as soon as I, you know, from, since I was little, I wanted to be free. And, and that's what I fought for. Um, and, and he won it. Uh, the fact that he won it at the, you know, at the cost of, of leaving his family is something to think about and be worried about and concerned about, I suppose, in how you approach the narrative. But I think ultimately Bib valued freedom that high, and, and, I, and I don't blame him for that. It's, it's, it's just choices I can't imagine people having to make, both Melinda and, and, and Henry Bibb himself. Uh, yeah, this is as much a story of Melinda in a way, and, and you know, it would be really interesting to, hear, to see a novel or see a film of, this, of these events from Melinda's point of view. It'd be quite compelling, I think. Um, anyways, I think I think we're good. Um, I think that's it for now. Yeah, we, we had a good run here on this this one, really good one. I really, I really enjoyed Henry Bibb's narrative. Next up is Sojourner Truth, um, and I completely forgot this one. I definitely read it before, but. Um, I forgot. I know, of course, who Sojourner Truth is. I'm guessing we might get uh, um, a little more path, like pathos and, 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 well, maybe rhetoric. Maybe pathos is what you get in a bit. Maybe we get a little more rhetoric, knowing what I know about um, Sojourner Truth. 
you know, being such an excellent uh, speaker. Um, but anyways, that's it. I, I'm looking forward to it. So next time I'll talk to you about uh, the, the narrative of Sojourner Truth. Um, our first woman? Yeah, this is our first woman in this series. So we'll have, we'll have another, thankfully. Well, one and a half in a way, because Ellen Craft, too, makes an appearance uh, significantly. And I, and I think this one almost... We, we hear quite a lot of Melinda's voice. So that, that's another reason to read this one for the, for the gender stuff. But um, let me know what you think. Hopefully you've read Henry Bibber, had a chance to look at it. If you did, let me know what you think. Um, so anyways, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. See that band all dressed in red. Gods are going to trouble the water. Ooh, it looks like the band that Moses led. Gods are going to trouble the water. Oh, 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 oh. Way in the water. Oh, oh, way. Way.